Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Angie Setzer. Angie, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, there is all good market volatility. Like I've, I've talked about this all week. It's been crazy. You know, it's not so much the day-to-day stuff. It's the interday stuff, and then it's the, you know, might go on a two-day run, and then you have a three-day downward turn or vice versa. So it's just volatility is just crazy out there right now. And until we really get this August report out, I think we're going to see a lot of this kind of back and forth as to what how the market's going to uh, react to what's going on. And um, we still have these defined camps out there. You know, you've got the – it's going to be exactly the same. We're going to have 175, 176, 177, and – and then you got this other camp out here. So it's going to be less than 150. You know, it's just a huge swing in what people believe. Um, you have to believe a little bit since there's a late plan out there right now that the bushels obviously are going to be down. I mean, that's just scientific fact, right? There's, you can't really dispute that. But there's some clingers, man, that just hanging on to this. So t- talk to me a little bit about what you see happening out there and kind of what your your view on the market is right now. You know, I was actually, I kind of jumped in. I'm that person now at parties that just shows up and starts talking when a group of people are talking. I'm just like, hey, by the way, this is what I was thinking about that on Twitter. And I guess maybe that's what Twitter's for. But I just watching, I enjoy watching the conversations. And Mm -hmm. I'm weird in multiple ways. But one of the weirdest ways is, 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 and I think it comes back, you know, I graduated with an English degree. My, My degree is, is in English. And so... To get an English degree, you basically spend four years sitting around a room with a group of people who have read the same piece of literature, and you debate what the author meant, right? You debate right. what it means, you debate, you have critical analysis of this piece, and, and you know, the reality is everyone can be right in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. And so this time of year is one of my favorite times because it is the time of year where everyone can be right in their own way. Now, obviously there are going to be people that are very wrong when the end of the year comes, but there's no real indication just as every day that goes by, we get more pieces of the puzzle that kind of roll in to get a better feel for what the final chapter is going to be. And what's really funny about it is we never really have a final chapter, right? We just kind of move into the next, um, the sequel. Right. You know, every year, right. August comes and then we start all over again. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of very different camps. Um, there's a lot of very wide, um, wide ranges of thinking. We were talking in our peer group last week or this week about um, acreage expectations. And I said, honestly, I think at this point you could find someone if you were to put a poll out on Twitter um, or anywhere that in agriculture, I think you could find people that expect 83 million acres of intended plantings and 95 to hundred million acres of intended plantings, yeah. like mm-hmm. for corn specifically. Yeah. Um, obviously there's a lot of uns- uh, unanswered questions. You know what I mean? Like 
could the increase, could you have prevented plant acres in corn come in seven to 10 million and not really have the actual planted acreage fall too much from where we are right now? That's kind of the thought process, right? So the, the thought process is a lot of folks went out and claimed prevented plant on corn because they had acres available. They, you can do that. There's pieces, there's a certain way, you know, that uh, and, and prevented plant on corn would pay more, especially if you're in an area with a high APH or something like that. So it is possible that you could see much higher prevented plant corn acres come in and not see the overall plantings fall too much from that 91.7 million that the USDA put out in June. That's a possibility. Now, I think it's important that there's certain rules and I'm not a crop insurance agent, but I know that my customers, I had a couple of customers that had decided to do that. They had to show intent. They had to show that they had seed corn purchased. They had to show that they were planning on, I mean, you can't just be like, um, you know, go in to, and sign up for crop insurance at the end of March and, and say you're going to grow 900 acres of soybeans and hundred acres of corn. And then at the end of June, take prevented plant coverage on all of your corn without having and so that's been the other conversation is that some people are like, well, I heard of prevented plant claims getting denied. Well, if you don't have intent and if you don't right. make a, a worthy effort, you will be. So there, there's just, I'm not saying this to cause greater confusion. I'm just saying it because no one really knows. And unfortunately, I don't know if the August report's going to give us the information that we're hoping we're going to get. Meaning, I don't know if it's going to be as clear as, as what we're, we're expecting. Um, you know, I, we had a, I kind of caused some anger last week with the USDA, the low food prices thing, and, and maybe reiterate on that a little bit. I'm not saying they're going to manipulate the data to keep prices low. I'm saying that they're not going to come out without a strong amount of solid evidence to, to move food, you know what I mean? They're not going to come right. out in August and say, well, it, it looks like we have 83 million acres of corn planted if it doesn't, in fact, look like that. You know what I mean? Mm. Even if we think it should, um, they're not going to come out and just be like, uh, poof, it's gone. Now, we have seen in the past where they've done some things that were somewhat unexpected or maybe surprising to the market structure, somewhat aggressive, you could say. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in August, but you know, I, I am a little worried that there's there's going to be this great expectation of, you know, we're going to have this moment of clarity after the August report. And, you know, I, I worry that we, we may not. Now, we're going to get FSA information included. That's the first time they've done that in the August report. They're going to use some satellite data, which if you look at the vegetation, you know, health index, there's a lot of areas that are, are really struggling versus a year ago. They're going to use the farmer survey of intended acres. And, you know, so there's there's going to be a lot of pieces of information that will hopefully make things a little bit clearer. But um, it's clear as mud, honestly. I mean, I, I made the joke yesterday. I drove two hours south of, of the elevator and, and back. And I made the joke that, you know, in trade, in the trade, when you talk to other market analysts or anything like that, the ongoing joke is always um, – and it depends on the farmer if they say my crop looks good or my crop looks bad. But there's always the, God, my neighbor's looks like crap. Mine looks good, but my neighbor's looks like crap is usually what you'll hear. Right. And typically it's like, no, you know, if yours looks good, your neighbor's probably, probably looks good. No, this year there's literally five miles difference between yeah. yesterday I was driving and 
there are fields somewhat uniform, you know, obviously from the road, you can't tell if there's potholes in the middle or not, but somewhat uniform fields out there, um, fully tasseled, phenomenal looking. Like I was calling my seed salesman. I'm like, who farms on M50 east of Onondaga road? Because I need to know them because I want to buy their grain. And he's like, I don't know, Angie, that's kind of a weird question, but you know, (laughs) and then you keep driving another 10 miles and it looks like, uh, like crap, you know? So I have no idea what to expect. Um, And it's funny where I was going with this entire diatribe here is the person that I was interacting with where I said, what I love most about this industry is that we can all have different opinions or perspectives on what the market is doing. I feel that the market is very focused, hyper-focused right now on the lack of export demand and the ethanol slowdowns that are taking place. I, I feel like the production problem is kind of like, yeah, we know we have a production issue, but have you looked at demand? They feel like all we're talking about is the production issue. So mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to see that, you know, we are on totally different ends of the spectrum. They think that there's no focus on demand whatsoever. The conversation is not really paying attention um, to what's taking place that is negative to demand. And I feel like we're, we are, that's very factored in. That's why the market isn't acting as though we have an 11 billion bushel production crop, which I don't know if we do. I'm not saying that because I think mm-hmm. we do. I'm just saying, you know, that's been thrown around. Um, so yeah. And then poor soybeans are like the baby in the corner. You know what I mean? Like right. no one yeah. even cares what's going on with soybeans right now. Nobody leaves baby in a corner. You know what I mean? It's yeah. one of those things where of all, of all the things out there, soybeans is usually the one that leads the, the market, right? It's the one that, mm-hmm. that dictates if it's going to go up or down or whatever out there. And I can't even tell you the last time I actually heard something about soybeans that actually was <laughs> substantive that I could make, I could take back and say, Oh, oh look, soybeans is going to do, is going to do something here. So, yeah. It's just one of those things where I, I'm right there with you. I, I have my concerns about the August report too, um, uh, but I'm I don't know with what's China what China is doing right now in in South America buying everything they can get their hands on, um, whether it's beef, corn, soy, whatever it is, right? They're buying as much as they possibly can. I think it's sixfold up on on exports on grain out of uh, out of Brazil right now to China. When that dries up, it's obviously going to sometime. They don't have an endless supply. Um, they're going to have to come to us, and that's why I think our market is going to be that. What we see, any big moves that we see happen are going to be late in the year. I mean, late, 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 late in the year. Like Normally, August is a, is a big report, and that kind of carries you to January. And I, I just feel like it's going to be October, December time frame that we see something take place, and that January report is going to have a huge splash in the market moving forward, assuming that... Um, you, you see that typical export window open up, and mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I'm, I, but I am not. I am not. I'm, I got my guy with the podcast. I have nothing. I don't know. I, b- I barely know what to do when I read this stuff on the market. So <laughs> that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. So it's all speculation. You can also hear and guess on what's going on. But there's a ton of stuff happening out there, and you know, today I think I got my ticker here and opened up two down, but it could be up. 15 by the end of the day or it could be down 15 by the end of the day and it could have a 20 cent swing in between and you know yeah. between open and close so it's just it's a crazy market right now nobody knows what's going on and uh it's hard to judge what's going on because of just like you just talked about everybody's got an opinion and there's enough data to back that opinion up but there's not necessarily enough data to make it substantive i guess is, a, is the best way to put it yeah usually by now we have a general consensus like okay yeah. it looks good 
Um, and okay, it looks bad. And, you know, and, and the other thing is, is usually by now, most of the crop is, is relatively close to being done with pollination. So we're just kind of entering into the phase of pollination in a lot of areas, you know, this week, late this week and the next week and beyond, um, you know, and, and it's so variable. So, you know, I have customers that have April corn and June corn plant, you know, from a planted standpoint. And then you have the areas that are dry that started to show up yesterday on the drought monitor. Um, you know, and so going into this week, there was an anticipation of extreme heat entering back into the the forecast the first week of August. And we did see that removed yesterday. Um, but most of the meteorologists that I'm interacting with are kind of like, I don't even trust my forecast model for tomorrow, let alone 10 days from now, you know, right. Funny because then you, you have all of the people that are like, Well, it's gonna frost in September, and I'm like, Just yeah. roll with the F word here. Let's, yeah, let's that's, get through August and then we'll talk. You that, know, that's the new one, the new the new thing. We're gonna get this early yeah. frost, and which every year that happens, I you mean, know, yeah. oh, the crop looks great, but if we get an early frost, well, no crap, you know yeah. what I mean, right? <laughs> right, yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing. Okay, so let's talk about cattle for a minute now. Cattle market yeah. has been very volatile as well um and a lot of it's led by what we see happening in hogs hogs have are all over the place up and down based on whatever rumor we hear from china about buying hogs right Mm -hmm. they have that china has lifted unofficially lifted the i guess let me put this which we rephrase that there china has given their their buyers the ability to get a credit on any tariffs on hogs um, that are out there now so they haven't necessarily taken that off but they've taken it off without you know you get a tax credit so you can kind of forego that uh that that the tariff thing that's happening out there right now so talk about what we see happen in, in the protein market and, and what what some big drivers there because we haven't really had enough summer yet to really have the the grilling season be the spike um but it's kind of been all over the place so what's your opinion yeah, from a seasonal standpoint, you know, once we hit the 4th of July, it, it the idea of, of the big grilling season gain, you know, is, is somewhat gone from what right. what I've seen. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. But we didn't really have, you know, it was, what, mm-hmm. halfway through June before we got the heat and really started to be able to actually um, grill. So, you know, I think the, the big thing that we've seen, what I, I really find most interesting um is the dichotomy between the two. So, right, hogs and cattle are your your meats. That's what we've mentioned, too. Um, Hogs have this ability to react to a market rally very, very quickly. So the end of December came, right, Last late last quarter last year, November and December, and everyone was exceptionally bullish pork because we were going to be shipping into China. We were going to have that trade agreement made. We had to cover the ASF losses, yada, 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 yada. Six months later, we have oversupply, right? In June, end of June, into the first part of July, because you can basically, I don't want to say snap your fingers, like obviously it's not that easy, but hogs are, are ready to, to move into to slaughter a heck of a lot quicker yeah. than, than cattle. Mm-hmm. You know, cattle, you're, you're really looking at, you know, it takes, what, 18 months to breed a heifer, right. you know, a certain amount of time to, to for her to be pregnant and then have the calf and then another 18 months or whatever to, so your growth and supply in cattle is exceptionally different. And we've been on this five year trend of heifer retention and growing our supply in the face in, in cattle in the face of growing demand. 
Um, and so the growth in supply has really helped to, to mitigate or offset that growth in demand. You have seen support come into the market structures, you know, for quite some time. Um, but you've seen a lot of volatility and, and, and we went from what cash cattle, cash fats here this spring, I can't, it all blurs together anymore, but you know, you saw one thirty trade and then we were down yeah. to one Oh nine, one Oh eight, you know, in the South. Um, and obviously the North and South are very different, but now we're starting to kind of regain our composure and work our way back up towards yesterday. I think we had confirmation of some light trade in the North one fourteen one one sixteen, I believe. Um, and so that is usually I write it down and I didn't today, but, um, that is, you know, somewhat supportive. We are starting to see that. And from what I'm reading from folks a lot smarter than myself who have been actively trading in the cattle market for quite some time, you know, they believe that that herd growth or the, the, the cattle supply growth has really slowed down. Heifer retention seems to be a lot lower. Um, you know, folks are kind of moving the cattle into, into the pipeline, um, now obviously feeders are, are back and forth. Corn prices have been higher. So why, you know, is there a demand for feeders or not? You know, this, that, and the other thing. Um, what I find most interesting right now is everyone's really, you know, watching what's going to happen with China with pork and stuff like that. But their beef imports have increased 61% in the last, like year over year, you know, June imports were up 61%. Beef imports were up 61% year over year. Now tell me this, if you had your choice between a hamburger or a pork chop or a steak or a pork chop, what do you pick? Like, we like pork. I like mm -hmm. a good pork line every now and again, but beef is kind of the staple of our diet. And so when you introduce a whole group of people to beef and then are like, oh, well, it's cool now our hog, our hog herd's back. I don't think you're going to see them all of a sudden be like, dang, we've been missing some pork chops. You know what I mean? Because right. really you don't miss pork chops. Let's be honest. Right. Um, maybe it's because I ate too many as a kid. But so I think long term wise, if we are slowing down on our, our herd growth or our, our uh, you know, what we're doing with the supply side of things, I don't think you're going to see the demand go away. Now, the other thing is, is that China's demand has come from other countries, not the U.S. either. So if we do get a, a solution to the problem, do we start to export more beef that way? You know, do we see pork get exported? You know, obviously, I think we do. But, um, you know, I think long term wise, there's going to be a lot of things that happen in the cattle side of things that are going to keep price supported. Um, you know, and maybe I'm speaking my book simply because I want to get into the cattle business. Um, and so I'm like, Carl, really, I swear long-term, it's going to be a great thing, you know, right. and maybe, I'm wrong <laughs> but, yeah. um, I, I, I want to do that. So, and I think pork too, I think we'll see China. We did see some shipments, a 9,100 metric ton went over to China this past week, which is a pretty good shipment. They didn't really buy much, but you know, we have the Shanghai meeting next week and, you know, I have a feeling that we're going to end up seeing that deal put together sooner than later. Um, though I did see someone make a great point. Uh, I don't think we'll see it prior to that, the major 2020 election cycle. Um, but at the same time, you know, I saw the best tweet ever, you know, in hindsight, asking a group of people who can't manage to keep their lunch box, you know, keep out of their lunchbox before 10 a.m. when they're working in the fields to wait out a two to three year trade war, mm -hmm. you know, might have been a miscalculation. And I was like, right. that is the thing I've ever seen because we're sick of hearing about it. I mean, yeah. it's figured out, honestly, yeah. but yeah, yep. Yep. No, I, I think I think the beef thing is going to just. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I like I like pork too, but man, I sure like a ribeye. 
You know, right. and it's, they're, they're very delicious. So, Who goes to a restaurant <laughs> orders a pork chop? Not too many. Not too many people. Like, well, if you go to a restaurant, what, and you, you go to a typical, like, a steakhouse, right? Yeah. And you start looking, they have, they have all kinds of meat and stuff on there. They have 47 different steaks on the, at Pork Chop. Yeah, and you can have a pork chop. Here's a yeah. pork chop. I mean, a, a, let's be honest. Pork chop is kind of like yeah. chicken breast for a grown man. You it's, know what I mean? It's the like, other white meat. It is, and it's mm-hmm. delicious. It's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I like I like my pork. I'm not going to yeah. pretend like I don't. The but. three of us can put down a yeah. pork loin pretty easily. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not saying, but um, if given a, a choice long term, I'm and once I get a taste for you know, you incorporate beef into your your diet, and I think exposing mm-hmm. a large portion of um, the society over there to to beef now versus where they had been before. Um, you know, and they don't have the ability to really, they just don't have the the space. And so I think you see a yeah. continuation of, of solid beef imports into to China, whether it's from us or someone else, you know, mm-hmm. as we move ahead. And so I think global beef demand really has the capacity to, to explode. And I think it's one of those things we don't really talk about a whole lot. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, maybe it's a concept far above my... Maybe it's it, maybe I shouldn't even be touching on it simply because I'm not a cattle trader. But I, you know, looking at it from the outside looking in, um, I really think long term wise we're we're going to be you know impressed in and what that ends up looking like. I've had plenty of analysts talk to me about um, the shift in in demand from in in Asia, especially China, um, from from pork to beef with because of the of the ASF scare, which we haven't even heard yeah. anything about for a while. So. No. And who knows how bad it is because it's been under the radar for the past couple months. I really haven't heard much about it. So it's hard to say what's even going on over there right now. But there's yeah, demand for beef and they're buying over it. There with uh, the U.S. soybean group right now. And, and you know, they're saying it's it's terrible. It's bad. It's not going to uh, improve anytime soon. But I also know that, you know, again, going back to the peer group and stuff like that, we have some pretty well connected people in that group that are saying that. There are a lot of folks from the United States that are actively investing in modernizing the Chinese hog herd mm-hmm. because they know that it, it works. You know, these multi-storied story feeder houses and, you know, that changes everything. So maybe we don't see that small backyard herd rebuilding take place, but, you know, it's very, very possible that a new modernized hog herd, you know, which obviously it's not completely free of, of ASF risk, but completely, you know, can kind of close off your outside influence and, and really kind of uh, improve your rations and make sure you know what you're feeding and and this, that, and the other thing. I think they could rebuild their herd a lot quicker than we're expecting, but I also see the big wigs out there saying, you know, Cargill closed down some mills, um, ADM saying it's very problematic. Bungie, I think is also saying it. So I'm just sitting here like, well, I'm just a dumb, dumb, dummy from Michigan. So probably I shouldn't be like, oh, I don't really think it's going to be that bad long term. You know what I mean? Right. But I guess we'll yeah, see. We will definitely see. All right, Angie, plenty of stuff going on. Folks want to reach out to you, pick your brain, maybe ask you some questions about what you see happen in the market. What's the best way to do that? You can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, or you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com. So the sitter just got here, so everyone has to lose their mind again. So. <laughs> Have a a good weekend. All right. We'll see you. Take care of yourself.
You too. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Mellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. See